Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. You know, I grew up when Halloween or anything was in, in the tradition my family was, I was raised in, it was all raw, you know, and um, kind of crazy that now I went out last night and we, people dressed up and we talked about things. We did a funny video. Mm-hmm. Just, a, it's it's a little bit different from how I was raised. Well, yeah, and times change over time. They you do. know, the the intricacies of what is socially acceptable depending upon which neighborhood you're in, you know, and which social group that you align with for day-to-day stuff. Who's to say it still wouldn't be acceptable where you're at? And we still have a lot of folks around here that don't just celebrate that holiday, which is totally fine. You know, um, I've always found it fun and exciting. We're one of the families that do it big with extra decorations, and we have, like, way too many Tupperwares full of things. Well, well, <laughs> and we build stuff for Halloween. I mean, like you would think we were Griswold just on the wrong holiday. <laughs> so you know, what are you gonna do? Yep. Well, you um, now, it, folks, this is Eric Garner. I know we we started and stopped and started and stopped, so I'm just gonna reintroduce you. That's fine. Eric Garner, um, captain, former, he, former captain. Got out as a captain, United States Army infantryman, uh, eleven alpha, uh, tabbed ranger, jump master. Yeah. What did you do, jump, jump master. master? I was with the eighty second for a while. Um, was very fortunate then to go on to one seventy third over in Italy, and got to stay in the airborne community. So yeah, yeah, I got to be jump master qualified, senior rated parachutist, um, ranger qualified, all the nice bells and whistles that go along with that. And got to do some tip of the spear stuff with the 82nd and 18th Airborne Corps and 173rd. And you got out. And I got out. Um, and I don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> what? You don't have your private plane no. out there? <laughs> well, what you do do is pretty impressive. I mean, uh... I like it. Let's, let's, let's so, spend a couple years there around. Let's do a little commercial for what well, you do well, right now. Commercial, but... No, so so now I uh, now I I'm the stay at home provider for our family because my wife is still uh, active duty, which is super cool. Um, and so I've not done the whole gambit of military placement and jobs in that I've been a military brat, I've been an active duty service member, and I've been a military spouse um, for active duty. Even though we were joint military for a bit there, um, and then I dabble in writing. Dabble. Horror Writer of the Year in 2017, right? 16, I think. Uh, 17. 17, 2000. Yeah. Well, you and I went to something for PTSD. I was getting off the medication. I came and saw you in Colorado. Yep. You moved to Virginia. Yep. I came and saw you. And that was in 16, right? And we went to some... Yeah, I was in 16. Okay, 16. And we went yeah. to this... Uh, we went to a community-based workshop that took about a week. It was a, like a... It's like a sleepaway camp. <laughs> I had to go sleep away. But the whole thing 
mm. was focused on veterans with PTSD. Yes. And post-traumatic stress, not well, disorder, because it's not a disorder. Well, it was it's, it was focused on post-traumatic stress and how to cope with it without any drugs. No pills. No. No. Nothing you put in your body. Yeah. And you know, I've said this. You've said it now yeah. because we heard it there first time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's a non-drug treatment. Yeah, and it 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 like got both of us inspired, and you started writing again, and I started playing music. Oh no, it was, it was fantastic, and 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 it was it was that first. It was almost like flicking a switch and saying go. Um, as far as taking stuff over, I think that first year after the first twelve months, I should say not first year, but the first twelve months after we left the program, I think I I put out four books in that year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that was done, then we waited to release book five, which just released yesterday. Um, but that was a conscious decision not to oversaturate a market, not that the products weren't being delivered or created, I should say. Um, so it was. It was like turning on a switch. What's the, what's the name of the series? So it's 13th Legion series. Um, fiction. Thir- it's 13th fiction. Legion, all spelled out. Well, it's yeah, the Roman numeral for thirteen, and then Legion series. Uh, it's on Amazon. You know, it's all more independent, published indie, if you will, instead of traditional. Um, that was more of a facet of my impatience than I think really a uh, reflection of the work not being good or anything like that. It's more of a reflection of uh, it's a very long process to go and get in Penguin, Random House, or something like that. You know, it's, it's Years, like I met a guy the other day, twenty-five years Before. of waiting, uh, of submitting, and you know, querying and cold emails and all that other stuff before his his opportunity came. And and you know, everybody's got their own path that they want to do. Everybody's got their own um, measures of success, if you will. Um, I just didn't want to keep being told no. Well, so. do, you, do you mind telling everybody about you know the? Is this good enough? You know, all the stuff I went through as a musician, wondering if I was actually producing something that was quality. Yeah. And then you did the free giveaway of the books and had over a million readers the first. Yeah, so I did. I did almost like a. It was like a first first draft, not first draft, but first release. Okay. Called a first release, Um, and it was it was as an artist, you have to figure out what you want. What's your what's your measure of success? Is it money, or is it like a following? Right, because sometimes they both don't add up together, um, and so it's very. I had to very early on figure out what the definition of success would be for what the undertaking was. But what I really needed, though, at the beginning, was almost a validation of that what I was creating was good because I was only making it for me. It wasn't for general consumption. I let a couple people read it and they're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, almost like beta reads, and I was like, "Wow, that's weird." Because I used it as a cathartic tool for me, and the fact that people liked it was kind of well. Then you unsettling. put it. What was the, what was the platform? Well, no, so so I used I used a site called Wattpad. W a t t p a d, like the electrical watt, um, and it's like Napster for books, except legal because you like literally as an artist put your <laughs> stuff on there um, for free, so people can read it. And they've got like uh, ten million readers, and it's very popular um, with. Uh, teens and like 20 year olds and stuff like that the, the, the people that are really into technology and are really rapid consumers of books you know it's kind of the perfect marriage and uh, 
I put it on there. I was uh, the staff was terrific. They still are terrific, but when I was interacting with them, they're very fantastic. And uh, in the span of a year, I had 1.7 million reads. So blew the staff away. They were really excited about it. Blew me away. Um, Thirty thousand comments. You know, um, just people love it. And then asking, well, why isn't this on the street? You know, to to, to buy. And so um, we looked at it, and then sort of rebranded it, if you will, found out that, you know, the first book was like War and Peace. It was like three inches thick, and it just wasn't working. And so uh, so we rebranded it and everything like that, and then are starting to turn out more product. I read that first one. That was huge. I read that first one several times. It was way, way too big. Way too big. <laughs> but now but now uh, it's it's been rebranded. I have a fabulous editing team. You know, the team I have built, or I've had the uh, good fortune of finding you know, talented people to come in and join the process do awesome work. Like, I'm so blessed with with the people that have said, let me help you make this better because um, I need a lot of help. Um, but it, it's turned into a product that's fantastic, you know, I, in my opinion. Um, but it was, uh, it was like if you had told me 15 years ago this is what I would be doing, I'd be laughing at you. Well, you I know, would have laughed at you. You, you know, it's like, I, you know, um, I think book one, it's different. It, it starts out in Afghanistan. Well, well no, it, it starts, starts out here, here on the state yeah, street. Virginia. From a guy like, that went to Afghanistan. Yeah, so, you know, the, the premise, you kind of write what you know. So it's a stay-at-home dad with former military experience who's, you know, pivotal in the battle between light and dark to end all humanity or save it. So, you know, you got to write what you know. <laughs> you know, um, but it is. It's you know. It's it's it's. It was a cathartic exercise for me. You know, we went from two incomes down to one. Um, I was I was very used to going to the range and shooting, and you know, I I could get bullets or I could buy diapers. Okay, well, I got to buy diapers. You know, but you still have that itch. You still have that need to do something kinetic when that's been such a big part of your life for so long, and that's what the writing allowed. Is if I needed to do something, um, my wife wouldn't let us get a PlayStation or an Xbox or anything like that, which is fantastic. So it wasn't like I could go play a first-person shooter game, but I needed to do something, and so I'd write a action scene, and it was awesome. Well, you you say she wouldn't let you get an Xbox. Now I know your wife just like you know my wife. We've all been friends for a long, yeah. long time. Well, but it was—it wasn't that she wouldn't let me. She really didn't want one in the house. And it was, and it was—it wasn't that she was like, no. It was this is why I don't want. And it was this—I don't want it because you won't then be in the moment. Because you already play like Battlefield or some crazy well, game, well, like Call of Duty or something like that. But the nice thing is, I work on a Mac. So there's not a big market for Mac first-person shooters. So you know you can't just keep buying and buying and buying. You know you you get like two games and that's it. You know so you, you hit tracer burnout. You know after it comes available on the platform, and so does everybody else. So there's not anybody really to to, to game with. But the nice the the very beneficial part of that was I needed to find a different outlet, mm-hmm. and writing became that outlet. And page turned to two pages, turned to ten pages, turned to twenty pages turned to a story and then it became almost this new passion that I needed to figure out how to advance how, how much do you want to talk about 
your own struggles with even writing? Well, it depends on what subject matter we're talking about with struggles. Like, if you're going to ask me if I wear rose-colored glasses, sure. Let's talk about those. So, so that's just, really what I want to yeah, get no, to. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Because the reason... You, you know, well, no, it's, it's, it's... You know why, right? Because there's people out there going, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, I so, can't. I want to, but I can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't. So, so I'm dyslexic. Um, I didn't get diagnosed with dyslexia until seventh grade. And so uh, I was behind. I was in special ed classes and stuff like that growing up. And um, I think when I went to seventh grade, we were, well, I know we were in Hawaii. My parents saw how I was performing in sixth grade in just the regular school. It was a DOD school, so it was a good school. Um, and had an opportunity to go into this new program and sort of do like an IQ test entry and everything like that to sort of troubleshoot to see what was going on. And uh, they were like, well, he's dyslexic. My mom was like, yeah, that's great, but that doesn't fix anything. And so I have rose-colored glasses. I look like John Lennon. Like, they're pink. They're cool. What but there's no prescription you? on you. So what it does, so my dyslexia is caused from light sensitivity from, from fluorescence. So the way it presents itself is if, like, say you do a Scantron test, for a perfect example. I'd read down the information. I'd be like, oh, it's C. The answer is C. And by the time I got over to the test, I would circle A. So all my test scores would be wrong. So I would literally get a zero, even though I knew all the information, right? And so um, this is why it's humorous that I write, because <laughs> as I'm dyslexic. Um, but what, what the glasses allowed me to do was go from, so going in a seventh grade, I think I had, when I did the test without the glasses, I was at a third grade reading level. When I put the glasses on in the same test setting or very soon after, I went up to a high school grade reading level. Like it literally fixed everything inside my visual pattern so that everything made sense. I could read faster. Like I, I never read a book for pleasure until my freshman year of college because it was such a struggle to get through. And now, I mean, I've got a whole library in the house. It's ridiculous. I think you have, have like 900 library. books. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's all like creativity and telling stories has always been a passion, has always been something fun that I've done growing up. But it wasn't something that I would have ever dreamt of doing in a semi-professional, trying to become professional, you know, pitch for entrepreneurship, if you will, with books and, and stuff like that, or telling vets how to write and all that jazz, simply because it's not, like my guidance counselor in high school told my parents not to waste money on college, because I wasn't going to go anywhere. I couldn't. Because I wasn't advanced enough to truly take off like I was supposed to. Thankfully, my parents didn't listen. <laughs> yes, thanks. Um, but it's but you know I look back now and I've had I had a terrific military career. My kids are great. My family's awesome. Um, I've put out book five just came out. You know we have all the way to book ten done. You know. Um, and then your option in 11, music, movies. Yeah, we, we've, um, we've done a screenplay uh, for it, um, for TV adaptation, for like the hour-long episodes kind of thing um, that we're shopping around. And so it's so it's exciting. You know, it's new, it's fun. It keeps it keeps everything engaged, but it it also sets new parameters for what is success, right? And so before, like when we were talking about Wattpad, it was just I just want people to read it and like it, right? And so just like everything else in life, okay, hit that bar. People read it and liked it. Well, to, now what? To the tune of 30,000 comments. Well, yeah, to the tune. And none of them negative. 
like all really positive. And so, um, so then what now, right? And so you say, okay, well, I want to take it uh, a step further. I want to go a little further with the project. Okay, well, that's a whole new battlefield you have to learn, all new skills and everything like that. So how do you do that? It's like starting all over again. But okay. You know, I say that lightheartedly now. Three years into the 10-year trip, I wasn't saying, <laughs> okay. You well, know, you're banging yeah. your head against the wall because none of it makes sense. It's a whole new language. It's a whole new optics. When it's you stand new. up to write, and you and the first thing you do is you write it by hand. I mean... Yeah, I write it all by hand first, and then I transcribe it. And I do. I have a standing desk. So... Jack says, does the writing help with the dyslexia? Do you find it hard to write sometimes? So, uh, so, to, so the question came in as, does writing help with dyslexia? So, no. Um, but what does help is modern technology. So what's super cool is, I, like I said before, I have a Mac. And I've got Microsoft Office for Mac. And I haven't been on a Dell or a PC for a really long time, so it may be the same. Microsoft Office across the spectrum. But for me, with the Mac, is the way the software is intuitive. I spell phonetically. My struggle is, you know, all the rules and everything like that mm-hmm. for the English language. I can't, I, since I didn't get enough of a base of it at the beginning with all the rules, I'm horribly lost now. But what's nice with the Mac is if I type it wrong phonetically several times and I go back and correct it, it now knows what I'm trying to do. And so it, it corrects it on its own for me, which is super nice of it. <laughs> you know, Your editor must love this. Oh, no. And, and, you know, so it goes all the way through. And so whereas before, like literally before, when I would type, the whole page would be read. Everything on there I would have to right-click and redo. Wow. You know, and now it's maybe 15 words per page that I have to re-click on for it to go. And then talking to Surrey is phenomenal. Because I'm like, hey, Siri, how do you spell this? And it's, you know, she spells it for me. And I'm like, this is great. You know, like, uh, like subterranean. I can't, I, that's in like almost every book. I can't remember how to spell that. And you, you type in sub, you sound that off. Well, you sound it out phonetically and even the computer's confused. Uh You know, so you have to ask Siri and Siri spells it out for you and you're going to go. You know, and so it's, it's modern technology to answer the question, modern technology has been what's allowed me to do this beyond having the simple drive or passion. It's been, here are some new tools that I can use to help me further what my passion is rather than being held back by limitations. And I write in like font four for handwriting. So it's super small. Only I can read it. You know, maybe someday I can get a staff and I'll have to write bigger so they can transcribe it. But until then, it's all on me. So... It's one of them things. It's one of them things. So what else do you want to know? <laughs> Anything else out there, folks? Oh. Well, it, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, like, you're a... Uh, so you won that Writer of the Year. I did. And, yeah, and that so, was a huge surprise. Because it's all in horror, too. Well, this no, is, and, and it is. And horror is a really hard category in that it's not... There's, like... There was, there was a great sketch comedy. I think College Humor did it. Or somebody like that did it, and it was, it was. Why don't you like horror movies? They're like, well, you know, they're very cliche, they're very poorly done, you know. And I think horror as a genre gets a bad rap. And if it's great, like it said in this sketch, like Aliens. Oh, you liked Aliens, didn't you? 
Well, yeah. That's a horror movie. It's just they branded it sci-fi, and so it like took off because it's science fiction. But when you look at all the elements, it's really a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very horror is a very like the fan base is terrific. Like if you like horror, then then the fan base is fantastic. Getting people to sort of jump into it is eh, it's not as it's not as uh, like mystery and thrillers. Like a whole bunch of people like mystery and thrillers. You know, I think horror's got some bad rap over the years for whatever reason. My stuff is definitely horror. Um, it's also paranormal suspense, you know, so it bridges a couple genres, which makes things tricky, too, when you're not writing just one pure genre. So You know, my experience of your work is that... That you only like it if you can listen to it. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I really... <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's sad that your your uh, voice actor is off... Yeah, well, on a sabbatical. He, yeah, thing. he's just taking a little bit, but we're going to get back to. So but all the books are in audio. One, as one well through four. One through four. Oh, and and I've great. got, like I said, building the team. Um, my narrator Merrill Matthews is fantastic. Um, but he's he's doing some stuff, so he's got to take a little bit of time. Um, they moved, and so he's got to reset up the sound studio, get grounded with the family, and everything like that. And then we'll 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 throw book five into the mix. Um, we've already been talking; it's already you know in the preliminary stages um, for him to take a look at it and and get it into production. But it's uh, but yeah, it changes the dynamic of how you consume it when you can hear it. It's yeah, it's really good. It, when you talk about the, I mean, like it's exciting to me because you talk about it being horror, but in one sense, it's like you just take the idea. Like when I when I experience your books, mm-hmm. it's as if I took the idea of Christianity very literally, and I decided that there was no spiritual warfare; that that was all hogwash. Everything was spiritual. What we put in our houses is spiritual. The choices we make in furniture is spiritual. The yeah, it makes it makes it very textual. It takes spiritual warfare and makes it textual. It makes it real. So in in the series, the 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 main character, like I said, you know, light and dark war, you know, between light and darkness and all that jazz. But he can see the angels, he can see the demons, and it's all very tactile. It's all very kinetic. It's all you know the things that go bump in the night are have big teeth and claws and are trying to eat them. Um, and there's blood and gore. Yeah, and and, 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 and I did. And the and language I, is well, no, and the yeah, not child friendly. No, it's and, not. And and some of the scenes aren't. I mean, there's no, there's 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 not gore for the sake of gore. You know, it's all proportioned appropriately. I think. Um, but also, when you look at the Bible, that you know, that talks about the devil roaming the planet, f- looking for f- souls to devour like a lion. This is not really a nice visual. Like well, it's very scary. Yeah. It's very violent. You know, and it's it's almost as if Christianity has gone out of its way institutionally to dumb down the concept of good and evil being at play in all of our lives on a well, daily basis. Well, so so in my opinion, in my opinion, one of the greatest gifts that was passed down to humanity from. Uh, the Trinity was free will, right? And we and we've talked at great length about language and everything like that. But free will is really the cornerstone to um, humanity being listed above everybody else, right? So you have the Trinity, then humanity, then the angels, right? The least will be 
first and all that jazz. And then the animals. Yeah, yeah. but you know, humanity's like right up there. Yeah. And it's because of free will. Yeah. We can pick and choose and faith and how powerful it is and stuff like that. But and this is this is to go back to why I think the evil and violence is somewhat diluted. Because if they really told you what was going on and how terrifying it was and you know all these horrible things that can happen is that really free will then you know if they're like hey the only way you can escape this is right over here well there'd be a line you know you could sell tickets you could scout tickets you know i'm i'm serious like and that's and this and i think that's the nuance is is they want you to make your decision you know it's it's your call you pick you either have faith or you don't, but it's totally up to you. All the information's there, right? The Bible's been out for a long time, and it and modern day civilization here, nobody's standing behind a screen reading it in church in Latin when everybody speaks French. Yeah, you know that those or, days. Or, are... Yeah, those days are gone. You yeah. know, or you know, it's only in Latin, so the common layperson can't access it, right? And and now. Um, and, and and congregations have gotten better where they're like, hey, look, look, this is what we're covering, you know, read along with us, you know, so that you can you can get get out there and get after it. But I think those pieces allow you to dive in as deep as you want, allow you to go as dark as you want, because there's there's many cha- there's many books in the Bible, there's many parts in the Bible that are super dark, like super dark, and then when you Taking the history of what was going on at the time, it's even darker. When you say dark, you mean scary. Yeah, scary, violent. You know, questioning your moral um, high ground or or where society at the day was even coming from. How does that make any sense? You know, all those all those intrinsic pieces of what is woven into the fabric of history. Taking all that into consideration when you're looking at where you're going to divinely spend eternity, regardless of what you believe. You truly have the ability to pick left or right, and I th- and I really think the only thing that's pushed on you, and this is where you can get into the whole philosophical argument of does free will even exist? You have to choose. You don't get to not choose, because even in not choosing, you're choosing. Apathy is a choice. Yeah, it and really so it, the only thing that's really forced upon you is to make your own decision. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And, and I think, and that's what I try to, to, to show, that, hey, here, there, is, well, there is a violent undercurrent of everything, you know. It's the lead, um, you wouldn't call it the heroin, you'd call it the... Uh, Which one? Oh, what's her name? It's not... Kincaid. Kincaid. Kincaid's the bad one, right? Yeah. yeah Kincaid. So... She's not very nice. <laughs> well, it, but it, I like her. She's like one of my favorites. Um, because even in Kincaid, she, I mean, she's like the second in command in this thing that's good. The, the, for the, the bad, bad guys. Guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the bad guys. And, yeah. and what I love about her is that she constantly tells herself, she constantly makes choices. She mm-hmm. tells herself, I'm going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this. I know that, and, and, and I mean, through the, through the killing, 
just the gore, the sacrifices of, of the people that they're oh, yeah. sacrificing is it's real. Talk about real living sacrifices. I mean, yeah. there's things in there that will blow your mind well, no, if and you it, haven't if you haven't really sat and thought because because when I think about it, like sometimes when I pray, like I'm really asking God to help this person over here or over there to care for them in a real way. And I think about stuff like your books where like what if there's some demon oppression really going on? What if that stuff's real? Well because when I read the scripture, it's all in the scripture. Well no and I think and I think there is a tie into that in in modern day, you know, it became you know the the main we have six senses, five tangible. You talk about the sixth sense where you can sort of, you know, ESP mm. or whatever, right? And and we as a body of people, right, as the 6.5 billion people on the planet or whatever, we are very, very, very dependent on visual acuity. So we put everything on said, one sense. What do you mean by visual acuity? Seeing is believing. Okay. okay? Seeing is believing. But you could see something, and your eyes are telling you it's one thing, but your ears are like, no, 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 dude, that ain't, that's not it. You could taste it, and you could feel that it's not what it is. And we would cast all those other senses aside and go, nope, I can see it right there. I'm good. Well, it goes back to, it goes back to that whole thing of, you know, Christ walks through the wall, and they're like, I'm not going to believe it until I touch him. Yeah. Because it's got to be, it's got to be experienced. They have to see, it. and and right there, they're depending on one sense, one, to validate it all. Instead of taking all the information from all five or six, to allow you to make the more informed interpretation of your surrounding. What kills me is people say, "Well, you pray for so and so," okay, and and I will. Mm-hmm. You ask me to pray for something, I'm going to do it. Um, it's just kind of who I am. But it's not just kind of who I am, because I'd rather just like go sit in the sun and bask and forget about everybody. But then when I think, no, no, as a chaplain, as an ordained minister, I have an obligation to Christ to go pray. I've Mm -hmm. been asked to, so I pray. And while I'm praying, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this person would never read Eric's books because it's horror. Because it has some a, a couple of words in there that they probably don't want to say, although it's it's like but it my, sits in the moment. It's correct for the moment. Oh, it is. Like and, if and you had something ripped through your body, you wouldn't say, "Oh, shucks." No, you may be it. a little more expressive <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with well, your verbiage. And and I've seen that up close. Yeah, and so have you. Yeah, I mean, you talk about being authentic and real to the moment. Yeah. When somebody asks you to pray for them, it's not an all shucks moment. It's Satan desires to destroy you. I need help. Please pray. But in the in the bulk of Christianity, we've denied the power of God so much so that when most people look at the group, they say, Well, hang on a second, you got these buildings that nobody's in half the week. And uh, during the week, you're all worried about everything. And if you really knew this God, if you really knew God, wouldn't you be having the best? 
Well, I, you be caring each other for the best. Well, so love one another. Well, we talked about this, right? It, it's it's there. There is a there is a a conception, perception. There's a perception amongst believers and non-believers alike that if you're Christian, everything's easy street, right? It's in in in, in the truth of the scriptures. It's the exact, exact opposite of that. Opposite. <laughs> it's going to be even harder. And it goes back to it goes back to again. Reading and doing your own homework and, and really looking into things, whether it's you, you read all the canonized books of the Bible or you read uh, some of the Apocrypha texts that didn't make it into the canonized Bible, you know, whatever, whatever you do with it, um, whatever research you want to put into it, it's, it's mind-blowing how much information is there. Well, and at the same time, how much information is missing. People do stuff like this. What, what's the kind of cup? It's the Yeti. Whoa, you get your Yeti. It was on sale. Buddy. Don't, get, don't, don't get too excited. I think it was like 75% off. I don't know if they were like throwing them out or what, but I was like, hey, yeah, that's cool. I got pre-approval process before I bought. Oh, yeah, you've got to have pre-approval <laughs> and 75% off. Anyway, people do all this research. This is a prime example. It's a cup. Yeah, but those ice cubes stay cold in there for like 12 hours. Not that I'm plugging it, I don't get any kickbacks, but it does. It stays cold. It's a cup. But check out what I'm saying. Eternity or a cup. And people will spend days and hours. They'll talk about this. They'll put stickers on their trucks and their cars. They'll walk around proudly with Yeti on a hat. Yeah. You know anybody Yeti? No. What are you advertising for? Well, it's like sports teams, and I'm not saying... Pro sport teams aren't bad or anything, or are bad or something like that. But you know, you're from so the Miami Dolphins, right? From Florida. Yeah. So, so if you were the NFL is great with their promotions and everything, but you know, there's a lot of people that are wear sports memorabilia or sports uh, merchandise. We're Bronco fans, you know. Um, We do. We have a flag out front, but we've never. Received a paycheck from the Broncos. We've never, you know, that like it would be more, it would behoove us more to to wear like army swag all the time, you know, because through the GI Bill, through the post 9 11 GI Bill, our kids are going to go to school at least half, you know, half the tuition because we split it amongst them. But, you know, it's our employer, you know, we've had great experiences traveling the world. So I should be decked out under today's thought processes and army swag. But I'm not. But what about this? And they do sell it, by the way. Good product. The idea of, of being a Christian means that you're in unity with each other. Well, no, 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 no. no. I, so, I, like, I agree. Let's take it to a no, real no, I step. I agree. I agree. Folks call me up and they're like, hey, hey, Matt, we got a problem, man. Uh, so-and-so's. Whatever. Whatever the problem is, would you mind saying a prayer? Like Jennifer, part of Bed Church, man, every Tuesday she prays. And she doesn't just say a prayer. I asked her, I said, what are you doing every Tuesday? You set this whole day aside for prayer every week now. For, and she, you know, she's been posting on Vet Church. And um, I love that she's doing this because I asked her, I went to her, and I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Tell me about this day of prayer. She said, man, I get real serious with this. I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't do anything else that day. I take my kids and drop them off and all that. Mm-hmm. But I sit, I, I, I have a candle, and I write people's, I write their names on it. I light the candle to remind me of Christ, the yeah. light of the world. Yeah. And I set and I think about where they live, 
what's going on with them, what they've asked me to pray for, the family dynamic. I don't say no five-second prayer and move on mm-hmm. unless something comes up. But my goal is to sit mm-hmm. and pray. And I thought to myself, why is that foreign? Well, it's so we were talking while we were riding around for Halloween. Um, while the kids were running between houses, we were talking. You know, so, so the relationship that Christians have with Christ, with the Trinity in its entirety, is individually based. Exactly. Right. So it's it all well. It's an individual commitment. You should pray in private. All that jazz. You know, it's it's you and the Trinity. Period. It's not fifty thousand of your best friends. And, and you and the Trinity. It's it's just it's it's not even you and the ordained fella. No, it's you no, it's just you and the Trinity, period. Um but but and, and, and there are many references in, in scripture to sit there and say, Hey, you know, it's 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 like a marriage. Right? The bridegroom and all that, you know, there's some strong overtones that really cement on how strong that bond should be looked at, should be regarded as. But Many people think that that bond is maintained enough by going and spending one hour a week on it. Now, if you talk to Kate, one hour a week for the last 30 years, how well would you know her? How well would she know you? How strong would your bond really be? Right? Wouldn't it be much of a relationship? Well, no, it wouldn't be. And, and, and I get it. There's, there's multitudes of competing priorities right like even if as a stay at home provider there's only so many days during the work week that I get to see my wife that I get to see my kids cuz they're going to school and all this other stuff and so as we figure out how we want to spend our time you know i think you just have to really be open and honest with what you're really trying to accomplish if you're like hey i'm giving 1 hour a week to my faith okay but it's just like anything else if you spend ten dollars on a chair instead of four hundred dollars on a chair that ten dollar chair is only going to handle so much comfiness it's only going to last for so long you know it's only going to look so good when a big boy like me sits on it's going to break um <laughs> but but you know you, you have to invest you have to invest in yourself you have to invest in in what you feel is important and and I don't know if that's I, I know it's trying to be conveyed, right? But it's trying to be conveyed when there are so many distractions out there. You know, so so like I've had out of all those people reading the books and everything like that, like it was fantastic some of the commentary you get back. Like, wow, this is great. You know. Um I really enjoyed it, it really made me think about A, B, and C that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Right? Mm-hmm. But yet what you find is is um, people are more willing to go and spend seven dollars on a latte at Starbucks than on than two dollars and ninety nine cents on a book where they can immerse and think. You know this uh, the world that we live in. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it just is. You know everybody's looking for faster ingestion of information rather than slowing down to pause. And read, and and reading is one of the perfect examples. Like people would rather watch a video or or or, or listen. And I, and I love the audio bit simply because Merrill does all the voices and everything like that. Like it's awesome, right? I and like it because I can go down the road. Well, no, and that, and there is wait. there's there's great functionality to it too because you can now still read a book, 
as you're driving. Well, right? it's just like this will be a podcast. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Well, no, and, and it's great because it's another way to ingest it. It's another way to consume something. But as we figure out where we want to not only spend our time, spend our talent, and spend our money, because that's the only thing that we really truly have to tangibly show our hard work and our job, right? Um, it doesn't always come right back, you know. And and some people will, will will do great things and tithe huge amounts to back to the 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 body uh, well, through the church and everything like that. Like less than fifty percent do any kind of well, but financial that, support or even involvement at all. In well, the and, that, and that's the thing is is in in my opinion, from what I've read and stuff like that, it's not necessarily a monetary thing that that upstairs is looking for. You know, it's it's looking for. I've given you these gifts. Forward, you know, use them to forward the kingdom. I di- I didn't necessarily give you the job at the advertising firm. I gave you this gift of speech. I gave you this mastery of your oratory ability. So use it to advance the kingdom, not so that you can put more in the offering plate. It, it's a it's an important part because it lets the machine keep running. We have to remember what plane of existence we live on. And so there is a need for that. I'm not saying there's not. There is a tangible need for that. Those buildings are purchased. They have loans. They have air conditioning. They have maintenance. They have all those needs um, above and beyond a whole bunch of other ones. Um, But if you're a groundskeeper, maybe it would be better to just go keep the grounds nice instead of putting $15 in the offering plate and then they have to go hire someone to do the grounds. It would be better just to sit there and say, hey, I got this. Once every other week I'll be by or once a week I'll be by. It would be a better use of your skills, your talents, your time. And that gets, I mean, like now we're really getting into something that, you know, like when when I first, we talked early on, we went to that deal for PTSD. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're sitting talking, and we're like, "What are we going to do with our lives?" And That's a whole different topic, yeah. Well, well, but it comes back to the same. It really comes into this nestled. Well, no, right it does. This. No, it does because if you look at it, what's the one thing that you cannot get any more of? Time. Time. You can get more money. It, yeah. You can't, may have to work like nineteen jobs, you know, to get more money, but because um, you have to keep hopping when you keep getting fired because you're not working long enough. You only have so many hours in the day. But the one thing that you the one thing that no one puts any real value on, right, tick, is tick, time because you can tick, never get any more tick. in it. And that's the only thing that the Bible specifically states you have a finite amount of on this plane. You get eternity to exist. You just have to pick where you're going to hang out at. <laughs> it's going to be super hot or like a tropical paradise. I don't know. But at any rate, you only have so much time that you don't get a refund on. Everything is borrowed. From the second you come out, it's all borrowed time. And I think that was the one of the keys that we came out of that little thing. Oh, we, yeah. Hang on a second. Oh, yeah. We haven't died yet. Neither one of us committed suicide. We both thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what are we going to do? Yeah. And we, started, and we looked at our talents because this idea of, of a tithe. Mm-hmm. And... You know, in the, in like, if you go to scripture, like, no, no, you know. I don't mean to be rude and drink in front of you. We it's to, crystal light. We go, to, <laughs> we go to scripture and we talk about the idea 
of a tithe. And yeah. in the Old Testament, it was like 10%. And Christ is like, I want everything. I want you. I want to be Correct. in a relationship with you. So yeah. dropping 10 bucks in an offering is neither a sacrifice nor a tithe. And for many people, that's just nothing more than good luck. Like, I hope I'm doing okay because I'm giving a little bit. And and I looked I, I looked at that. And we, we both looked yeah. at that and thought, well, how do we give everything that we can give until, not not because we're earning God's favor, but how can we give everything we give until we've got nothing else to give? Well, no, and, 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 and not only that, but to enjoy it. Well, right, to enjoy the process of it because, you know, a lot of the times you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Well, if, if it's something you don't want to do, then you're probably not supposed to be doing it. It's not aligned with your talents. Yeah. You know, like the I main agree. thing is, is the relationship up and down is supposed to be fantastic. And we've talked, you know, well, that doesn't mean life will always be perfect. No, you want life. There is a, there is a purity and struggle, right? And you can do a million things in life, as many as you want. But you're only be, going to be great at what you are supposed to do. When what your talents align to make you able to do well, right? Well, and if you're doing those in conjunction with spreading the gospel or, or reaching people and, and fulfilling a need, well, then you're happy. And that's like everybody jokes about it. Well, of course, why wouldn't you want to get paid and at and doing something that you really love? Well, why aren't you? That's a better question. You know, the the real, it's not, well, of course, you can't find that. Sure you can. You just have to find out what you really like doing. You know, and I think one of the the best things that that program really cemented was, it's okay to have a good day. You are, you have everyone's permission to have an awesome day. And the only person that's not letting you have an awesome day is you. That's it. That's it. You know, you're responsible for everything you do, and that's the only thing that's getting in your way from having an awesome day. Yes, there are trials and tribulations, yes, but how you handle them and how you respond to them, it governs how well the day will be. And in my opinion. <laughs> it's, you, you throw that out there like. Just in my, you know. It's just, I got no gospel law to sit back on. It's just my opinion. That's like the whole. <laughs> With all due respect. Yeah, there's no respect there. <laughs> With all due respect. Well, I, I, I loved us sitting and talking about what we were going to do. And, um, you know, we we kind of came up with the idea together. I mean, we went to this thing together, and then they were sitting talking, and it was like, you're like, you ought to go, you ought to really consider looking at taking that GI Bill and going to school. And I went and learned how to use this little yep. recorder and how to make film. I'm going to do a, a documentary from all this traveling around in February. I've, I've got two weeks laid aside to do nothing more. It's going to be a horror documentary, right? <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> Blair Witch Project. It's going to hunker under a sheet and breathe real hard. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> um, but And you decided, you know, you're going to continue to take care of your children. Stay at home. Yeah. Support your wife be involved in the community and you're going to start churning out work in that year alone that was that was, was a crazy year 2016 yeah. my best friend died mm-hmm. um, my mom died you, you you drove 
17, know, 17 hours? 17 hours just a standard funeral, yeah. know, which meant a lot for sure. Thank you for that publicly because it was quite public. You were there. It's um, quite public. I think there are pictures that show I was there. Well, I might be. Um, <laughs> One. The, you did four books that year. Right? In that, well, yeah, in, in the span of 12 months. Yeah, you went back and redid that big book. That well, you no, did. so uh, yeah, so we revamped it to make it more uh, coherent and in line with what is acceptable in in sort of a new author coming on scene, you know, with, well, with that's, the product. That's, that's where you built the team before before. Correct, this, there was no team. You didn't have a team. No, and you I, were just kind of like writing a book and seeing. Well, and what I, I mean, I had editors and stuff like that, but nobody that I could really. You have to have a red team. Your you know? editors from before and your editor today. Let me oh, tell yeah, you, yeah, it's, they're not even in the same class. No. Of, uh, and editing. and <laughs> I was and I was very fortunate, and it was and it was again it was a friend referral, yeah, you know, because yeah. all all the people you know that are really good are very busy, and so they won't necessarily have an opening unless there's a referral, right? So I was very fortunate to get a referral, and my editor is awesome. Um, my designer is awesome. Like I, I'm very, very fortunate with the people that I have, um, who have said that they would help me, you know, with, with the project. But I think really the, the the dynamic shift was not necessarily, hey, you can have a great day or you can have this. It was, it was the, it was the building blocks of you need to relay the foundation of how you move through life, right? Um, we're all in the service. You have a regimented thought processes. You know, they, you're sort of told, hey, this is where you are. This is what you're doing. Boom, 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 boom. Everything is laid out in the box, right? And then they tell you to think outside it. But you know what's in it. Mm-hmm. And you know the limits of the box. You're like, okay, there's the box. Super easy. Think outside it. Okay. And then you leave, and then you're like, think outside the box. I can't even tell you what game we're playing. You know, is it is is it a sport? Or is there equipment? Is there a field? The box. Who's got the box? Let's throw everything. Oh, nobody's got the box. Well, what are we doing then? You know, it it became more chaotic than I think anyone was really planning on having to not only sort out, but then make your own game, right? Because everybody has told you for so long this is the game we're playing. Well, no. When you get out here, you you literally have the the freedom to make your own game. The civilian life. Yeah, you make your own rules depending upon where you work, right? If you were if you're at the bottom again, you have to obey the rules of the company. But a lot of us do a lot of self-entrepreneurial stuff, and then the rules are well, you have to make them. Well, you, you know, this is a huge shift too because we we hear a lot of talk in the veteran community in the organizations all over the country that are helping vets. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I go and I don't know that I'm really helping in a vet. I'm being with vets as they help themselves, which is a huge different thing. I mean, like, I'm just... When we went to Afghanistan and Iraq, I just bore witness as a chaplain to the lives of the soldiers and sailors. I mean, there were were Navy people in Afghanistan. And I I got to see that. I got to bear witness. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because... The groups that'll do that, that'll bear witness, that'll come alongside. Sometimes we want to focus on what's not being done, or, well, you know, these small group over here. But we forget that there's like 
right now in the state of Florida, there's over 100,000 veteran-owned businesses. Sure, there's 1,000 people sleeping outside tonight. But why don't we talk about the 100,000 veteran-owned businesses? Well, and, and, and I think it's it's really boiled down to, you know, the, the leadership axiom. You know, everybody's a leader at the lowest level all the way up to the highest level. And when you leave, you lose a little bit of a, well, I'm not really responsible for anything anymore. Well, yeah, you are. You're responsible now. Yeah, for, for you. everything. Well, it's 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 not only that, but if if you're really responsible for you, whereas before the machine was responsible for you, mm-hmm. you know, you get right out place, there. right time, right uniform. Well, yeah, you're or, or hey, here's your hit time. Be here in this uniform. Yeah, and don't worry about it. We'll tell you what you're doing. But the machine took care of you. You know, you you had so much vacation time. That was it. So you only had this much time off. Everything else was work. Gave you common purpose, gave you drive, and there was always a mission end state, right? And I think a lot of us miss that inside. I think a lot of us are very excited when we depart. And there is, you know, just like there's all those stages of grief, there are stages of departure from service. You know, where you want to grow your hair out, you want to grow your beard. You know, it only took me, what, 10, 12, 12 years to get to the point where I grew a beard. You can see how long it lasted. Um... But you get to that, you get the ebb and flow. You get the ebb and flow. And and the main part of that lifestyle that we sort of are very happy to cast off is one of the major things that can make us super successful. It's, it's the very thing that not only excites me, but it frightens me. You know, like... I, you know, I, I always like to use myself as an example because... there's a lot of material, yeah. There's a lot of messed up material here. <laughs> well, and not just that, but... It's inappropriate to talk about others. Yeah, not Use that. yourself as an example, you know? Yeah. Like, show me in your life. What are you really talking about? Be something authentic, you know? Um, I, I, you've got to be authentic. It, if it's not real, people are... I... I I'm sick of that which is not real. Like if I want to go to a movie, then I want to go see edited reality. I want to see every person in that movie with the perfect clothes on for whatever their character is. Yeah. Um, I was just listening. I've been reading a uh, book from Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Um, I think it's called. Blow the bloody doors off. Blow the bloody doors off. Incredible. Sounds that. like him. He was a. Uh, he's a, he's a veteran of the Korean mm-hmm. War. I mean he buddy mm-hmm. I mean like some of the stuff he talks about in there was crazy and I, I'm just I was blown away <laughs> blow the bloody door I was blown away by some of the stuff where he said you gotta take every opportunity like don't well, don't pass stuff up if you got an opportunity go do it well and, and, and really you know chance favors the prepared you know do your homework you know whatever venture you're doing Mm-hmm. There's going to be an idiot's guide to it in the library. You know, whatever it is, go read up on it. Go master it. You know, the the nice thing that we have that we don't tap into is is this can-do attitude. You know, we're okay with working 18 hours a day. So use that 18 hours a day. If you only have six hours at the day job, use the rest of the time to master whatever you want to do next. You know, you you can already do the work and and for the longest time, I was always told that every ah, it's just luck and timing. It's luck and timing. It's luck and timing. 
No, yeah, there is a segment of that. Truly, there is a segment mm-hmm. of that. But if you're not prepared for when the luck and timing happen, then it just goes by you. I remember you calling you know? me up and saying, that's great, you wrote a couple of songs. Now what? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm going to go sing them. And, then, and you said, then what? Yeah. And then I started writing. And even right now that we, you know, I just produced one album that we gave out 200 copies to a the Seventh-day Adventist mm-hmm. thing this coming weekend and going to do the same thing down the moral injury thing in Texas and doing giving out a bunch this weekend a couple hundred and and it's awesome because I learned how to do that I learned how to write those songs and I wrote them mm-hmm. and I recorded them and I did the work on them and then we sent them away to be mastered just for a couple finishing touches well, because it's because you're in the industry and to have a good product in the industry, it's got to be mastered. Oh yeah, and well, and, and the, but the thing was that got me was you said you got to keep going. Like right now, I have material for two more albums. Mm-hmm. Material some people haven't even heard, and and I'm still writing because, like Michael Caine said in that book, man. You, he said you look at my life and you think, well, he's had some breaks. Yeah, it has a breaks, but if I were to look at how many failures there were, there were more people that told me no. More people that have told me no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have played on the street because I couldn't find anybody to listen to me. Well, not only that, but <laughs> like, the, the great, the great thing there—I don't know what door to knock on. What what door should I knock on to be successful? Well, why aren't you just knocking on all of them? Every door. Yeah, just knock on all of them, if, and then eventually, if all your stuff is as good as you think it is like if it's really as good regardless of what you're doing if it's as good as you think it is then eventually someone will consume it and love it and and really really it ties back to why are you doing it well and you have to you have to go back to that that's the thing and and it has to be when you start to move forward what is the definition of victory you know, and every campaign plan that the military's ever had, they've had, here's how you define victory, right? The Powell Doctrine. It's a great doctrine, and you can apply it to anywhere in life. You should apply it, especially to business ventures, but what is your definition of victory? And so as you stray left or right on, on the course of, well, oh, this is a horrible month. Why? Why was it bad? What, what happened? Well, I, I lost two gigs. Okay, but what's your definition of di- victory? For me, it's... The cathartic exercise of writing is helping me enough to still want to be here and be productive with my family, productive in society, and still relevant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if this deal over here falls through, I can be slightly motivated to work harder or slightly like, oh, man, that, that sort of sucks. But I'm still, I've still won. I'm still in the victory box because I'm still here. I still want to do this. I still want to. Do, it's still fun, right? So you you are still, not to quote Charlie Sheen, you're still winning, mm-hmm. right? But you have to define what success is so that you can really have a litmus test. If everything is up for grabs, then you never win. You never succeed because the bar is going to keep shifting and keep changing. And if you push the success bar further ahead, that's fine. As long as now you know this is my new definition of success. So for me, I wanted people to read it. That first book. Well, 
well, 1.7 million reads, I'd say people read it. Right? Oh, yeah. Had a whole bunch of comments. People loved it. That's what I wanted. So now I've moved the bar forward and said, now this is the new definition of success. Because it can shift. Yeah. And it should. It's got to shift. It should shift. Or if it doesn't, if you're like, I never want it to shift, then fine. Contentment is okay. Well, but you have to be honest with yourself and then work towards whatever the goal is. If the goal is to be content, then be happy and be content. I want to I want to like talk about that for a second. Sure. This is interesting cuz I think contentment with godliness, contentment with passion, contentment with the idea of love is okay. I think contentment sure. with like, well, I'm done is not okay. And well, it's again it's it's shifting your priorities. So like say we'll take music for an example. Here I am. Or writing. Either way, an art form. Okay? You reach a certain point where you you're like I, I I think I've mastered this. It doesn't move me as much to do this. I need to find a new passion. Whether it's something in the art still or or something else, some other activity. But you have sat there and said, I have achieved, and it's really for your own self-worth analysis. Here's my definition of success. I have hit that for 10 years straight. Do I need to keep proving it to myself? I either need to move this. If I don't want to move it, because it's not going to bring me joy then, pick something else. Well, and Go I, have another passion, right? Talk about exit strategy. So we've been doing that. I mean, I have an exit strategy for... My for this driving around the country for sure for this As for you this should. for this playing like you were here today and I booked a gig in Longmont, Colorado. I, th- I think yeah. Well, I'm not sure it's dead set, but I think it's there. I mean, we're yeah. we're in conversation. The guys like yeah. yeah, I want you to come play, and and it means I got to drive 15 hours right. from Austin to there to get there to play, and right. then somewhere in between us is asleep. Let these little puppy dogs. Get outside and take a pee outside of the van. Patches of artificial grass. Yeah, yeah. eat somewhere. And I'm supposed to do all this in a matter of hours. And and I think about that. I'm 47 years old. Um, I'm not some young 20 year old rock star. I'm a 47 year old rock star. Important to understand that. Yes, it's very important. And and the other thing is, my idea of success has nothing to do with money. Nothing at all. And and that's but that's where. As you evaluate while you're going, mm-hmm. that's where it's important because you can continuously look and say, does this action that I am now about to expend, the only thing I have a finite amount of resource on, time, does it accomplish that goal? Yeah. To not only further my journey in this specific path, but also for the betterment of me. Well, and, and the weird thing about you. that is... <laughs> It comes down to the idea of exit strategy because I say to myself, yeah. at this point in my life, what's the campaign plan? I don't want to keep going, and it has nothing to do. I mean, I may be, you know, Johnny Cash famous yep. at that point. Where like I'm on the radio and people know who I am, and they got signs in Nashville by me. Mm-hmm. I'm still easing out of my exit strategy. Well, because I'm doing this for me first of all. Correct, and if, and if that's what it is, like and like we said, if you're still receiving satisfaction from it, you have to put an end state on it. You have to define what your end goal is, whether it's hey, we're stopping this at five years, 
or I'm going to give myself five years to be successful, to reach this end goal, right, if well, it's that. I love that in the, your, the 13th Legion series, you've built in some expectation of an end goal. Oh, yeah. I've cheated a little bit with it. There's 13 books. You really get 17 because they're part one and part two or part three. Yeah, I cheated a little bit. <laughs> but there is only 13, right? Um, or, or I may get, you know, a, well, and you a have different... Well, you have some off oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, we have another line that ties into it. It's not the like Oracle. That. What's the thing Origin. Called? It's the Origin series. Yeah. Oh. Um, but it's just more stuff for the Legion. But... I digress. It's 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 important though to sit there and Matt, you have to take the time at the beginning of any venture of a passion project that you're going to spend time away from your family and your friends and stuff like that to really sort of map it out to do yourself justice. To sit there and say, Here's my beginning, here's my middle, here's my end, here are my benchmarks. Mm-hmm. We did it all the time in the service. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have your training plan, you'd have your individual, your team, your squad, your company, your battalion. Did you guys do fifty meter calendars? You mean like horse blankets where you go all the way out? Yeah, of we course. did. I had to do a fifty meter calendar for every hour of the day. Oh, yeah. oh okay. So you're saying like twenty five, all your targets. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I had to do yeah. the the month, and then I had to do the five year, the ten year, yep. and um, it's it started for me as an assistant because I didn't know how to type. I didn't have skills yeah. in that world, and I had to learn skills. Yes. And, and, and it was hard. And coming up with some of those goals was part of learning the skills. It was, it was part of how do, you, how do you plan for the future? Because if you don't make a plan, you're gonna, you know where you're going to be? Nowhere. You won't well, be any further be, along. You're going to be right where you are right now. Yeah. I mean, that, it, 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 it's really simple. It's well, not It's, it's not enough, but there's got to be enough meat on the bone. Like, you can't just sit there and say, in 10 years, I'm going to be successful. Okay, that's cool. It's a great goal. You're going to be moving towards something. But what does that word mean? Right? What is the tangible? Like, I'm going to, like, when I walk into TSA for pre-screening, they're going to be like, I know that guy. Okay, that's different from my book's going to be on a shelf. Right? There's two different things. Or I'm going to feel content enough because I sell X number of copies per year. Okay, completely different too. You have to put a a little bit of meat on the 300-meter target. So that once you finally get there, you're like, sweet, I made it. But did I really? Let me look at let me look at the fine print. Did I Yep, oh look at that. I checked all those blocks. Okay, cool. And as soon as you get to the three hundred meter target, guess what? There's a twenty five, fifty, a hundred, a two hundred, three hundred waiting over. again. And and that's where you have like a huge overarching goal way down the line, which is yours. Hey, twenty twenty one. That's my timestamp. Yeah. I will have achieved this when I do this. Yeah. Awesome. And it's and it's a it's a very it's a very tangible thing. Well no, but what's neat about that is if if all of a sudden next year you accomplish that mm-hmm. as your timestamp, well then this changes a little bit. Yeah. But it's a simple math equation to sit there and say, Okay, we're gonna plus that up just a little bit. And it's still now totally relevant when you get there. There's a there's a verse somewhere in the scriptures that says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. Yeah. It's just like we were. You were telling me about you getting something edited. I'm gonna read it here shortly, and um, and I'm excited about that because it's like you have a vision for this piece that goes alongside of Mm -hmm. a book, and it's another book. I mean, it's another. It's not really a book, but it'd be like for your 
for the people that are really your fans, you're going to give them yeah. this little extra something that's like so cool. And and what I think the, the tie in with me is that you let my mom read it two something years ago before she died. Mm-hmm. And my mom was that, you know, she would read, she would read two, 300 pages a day. And um, she consumed books. Yeah. And, and, it, and the wild thing is, my mom had dyslexia mm-hmm. and got into teaching special ed. You know, we're talking about all the way down to the glasses. Mm-hmm. My mom said when they, they would bring people from all over the area to my mom to be taught because my mom's approach was to look at each individual and say, yeah, you know, I mean, I learn like the rest of them, but you're a human being. So what I'm going to have to do as a teacher is I'm going to have to learn how you learn. So we'll, we're going to play a lot of games. We're going to talk. I'm going to get to know you. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be able to teach you what those people over there know. These other classmates in this, you know, this structure that's going on. You may not be at the same place where they're at, but let's be honest. You have all the same worth. You have all the same value. Oh, yeah. And you can learn it. It's just it's just knowledge. The well, it's ability, just going to be taught a different know. way. You consume it differently. Yeah. You know. And and when we you know, when we look at um the idea of this person asking for prayer and the horror of a demon maybe sitting right there and going you you're asking I don't want that you to pray for them. Oh yeah. Because that prayer stuff's real. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want to kill you right now, but I can't because God is protecting you. And, and you know, it's, it's weird because there's people that don't believe in any Christianity part at all. And yeah. yet, and yet, the dynamic of this idea of a demon and God wanting, not God, me, God over here, you know, like demon over there, God over there. So, uh, or over there, or, you know. We get it. So, um. Well, I just, you know, I pointed towards you with the demon thing, and I pointed towards me. Yeah, it was really poor. I get poor, it. You know, like, anyway, so the, the idea is that there's this constant battle, constant struggle for each individual. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not they believe that, it doesn't really matter because everybody seems to deal with the same ideas of good and evil. Like, we all can't just jump straight into ontological value and say, well, we are. Yeah. I am, I be, I exist, it is. Is that nihilism? Isn't that what it is? Where it's everything you do only benefits yourself? Well, I'm just saying, like, it it turns into this horrible, horrible look. Yeah. And, and even the, the greatest amount of hedonism, when, when you, the lust, the, the pleasures of the flesh, the lust of this life, the consumption of pleasure. It doesn't it doesn't take you very far. Well, no, and it, it doesn't satisfy because people keep doing it over and over and over. They need more. They need more. It, well, no, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily give you a sense of fulfillment. Well, right? and like, it, yeah. it, there's no contentment that's that's achieved. But yet, when you look and you sit there and say, "What what is the ultimate purpose outside of forty two, right? From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the ultimate question, right?" Um, but as you as you go into that, like, what is the ultimate reason of of interaction of of bettering yourself or accomplishing anything? You know, if there's no if there's no connection, not not just here, but 
upwards, downwards, sideways, everything like that. If it's not, if you're not part of it, if you're not willing to extend out and be part of life, then how can you hope to succeed in it? You know, I, you know, a lot of us will sit there and say, I, I, I can't, I, I just can't function out there. Well, then you're not going to be able to. Because right? you, you have to want to interact. You know, it's, it's like going into music or it's like going into to literary stuff. There's an industry that's already established. So again, you have to learn the box. Then you can learn how to think outside of it and leap ahead because people are stuck in a line. You can figure out how to go around them and stuff like that. But you have to understand the box you're playing in. Mm-hmm. Us transitioning back out into society from a regimented organization such as the military, we now have to relearn the box. We have to, we have to plug into it. We can't make our own. No. You know, I and mean, it, like I, you, I, you play music, I, you've got to play music According you know, to the industry, yeah. that's the only way well, you can plug in. And I can't, I can't, you know, the guitar's not a horn. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, only so there's many always... different ways you can do it. And, and and the weird thing about that is that sometimes you got to go learn something. Well, yeah, and, and if you're going to do something brand new, brand new revolutionary thing, awesome. If you're going to make a hover car or, you know, finally the Velcro, Velcro sneakers from Back to the Future that do it all themselves, awesome. Go do that. You know, that's fantastic. You're still going to have to learn some tools. You're still going to have to learn tools. You're still going to have to find a way to get it into the systems that already exist, whether you like it or not. That's just us now. That's just the new us. Well, and let's talk about the new us. I mean, we both have some post-traumatic stress. We've both been up more than one night sleeping. And then not not really sleeping. Yeah, yeah, not sleeping, (laughs) I guess I should say. We struggled. We mm-hmm. both have struggled a lot. And I did the exact opposite of you. I went down to the VA and I said, I'll take everything, single thing you can give me. And then I would go to the ER and I'd get more pills if I was in the slightest amount of pain. Mm-hmm. And your approach was, I'm not doing anything. And then you drank. Well, I, I, I remember, I, I remember I did, coming to your I house. Did. And, I just and self-medicated. Thinking, <laughs> and I was just like, Eric, you're an alcoholic. And you were like, Okay. I think I was like, you gotta, you gotta be good at something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and not, not to cast jokes at that. But, no, no, we're laughing at it, but yeah. it's really serious because. Well, it, it's those two are very <clears throat> maladaptive. Well, not not only that, but I think, I think you do. Going back to you can have a great day. You can. It's okay, you know. But there's a lot of colloquialisms and stereotypes that a lot of us fall into after leaving the service of what we're supposed to be. Back out in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whether you look at um, John J. Rambo or you know any stereotyped former mill, you know Jack Reacher, you know whatever on the silver screen, and we all saw that stuff before we entered the service, did the service. All the disillusionment was cast aside. You know there weren't as many cool toys to play with. You. You know, sometimes you were better at picking up trash and you were doing battle drills, depending upon the cycle of training, all that stuff. Um, But when you came out, the only thing, at least for me, I didn't really do a good job of casting aside the societal expectations in my mind of how I was supposed to plug back in as a cog in the machine. And, And you develop or allow these maladaptive behaviors to be attached to you 
and then you just perpetuate the self-licking ice cream cone. You know, whether it's due to standard of care or your own oh, there's misinterpretation. Lots of oh, no, there's no, no, there's lots of excuses. There's tons, but, but there was no, there, like I, I thought it would have been tremendously beneficial if there had been, during out-processing, you know, a mandatory attendance class of something similar to what we what we went through, where it was here's what's going to happen, you know, um, over the course of twelve years, you learn a lot of what leaving the service means, right? For, at least for me, you, I've learned you a lot. in twelve year now. Yeah, I'm at I'm at the twelfth year, so I've I've learned a lot over the twelve years of what leaving that organization means and what the good things were that I should really keep. What some of the things like how quick I was to anger. <laughs> You know, walking around like a peacock. You don't really need those things. You can let them stay in the past, you know. Um, but there are some great things that we learned that we should still keep. And there are some maladaptive things that we learned that we should let stay back there. Um, but, like, the, the main thing, though, of there is something that owns you, right, whether it be, like, going to the ER or, or me looking for a high-quality bourbon to drink so there's no hangover in the morning, and then a great, highly caffeinated coffee, you know, to, to wake yeah, back up and function. you're going up yeah. and down, up yeah. and down. And so instead of doing that, you know, um, it's the little things that we were doing that kept everybody sane. You know, like, look at PT. I hate exercising now, mostly because I can't run anymore. Yeah, me too. You know, because I'm broken. But every day, where were you? Every morning. We went where were you? That. You were outside. Yep. It didn't matter if it was like four below. You put your baklava on, but you were still outside for like three hours. Right? If it snows outside now, I'm not going out. Because I'll slip and fall and hurt myself. Right? It's going to be bad. But I should. Because that's what kept me sane. In some of the craziest it's environment a, it's a and stress of what it is, like it, today we went for a bike ride. We, what, yeah. what was that? A mile, two miles? Not even. Probably a mile round trip. So we went a mile round trip. And we on sat on the beach. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't run. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't walk. Um, so we went. We sat on the beach yeah. and we talked. I did that little vet church interview. Yep. You held the phone and uh, whatever it was yeah. called. That was not really an interview. It was more like. It was more like some, uh, uh, it was like, it's like we talked about something and we saw a chink in yeah. the armor where everybody, you know, oh dear God, help me in my time of pain. We forget that we're so quick to walk away from God in our time yeah. of good. Yeah. Just, I mean, we just decided to talk about it for a minute. We did. Yeah. And a, a, vet a vet church snippet. That's yeah. good. We should brand that. <laughs> a whole different video category of vet church snippets. Thought for the day, snippet. <clears throat> but no, but to 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 get yourself out of maladaptive practices, you have to have something to put in its place. Yeah. Right? And a lot of those things that we learned in the service were putting it into place. Like, if you knew you had to be up at 545 for PT, well, you would backward plan and go, okay, I know I need at least, depending upon how old you are at the time, between <laughs> two and six hours of sleep, <laughs> right? Or how many times you can run that, right? But you did that. Yeah. You said, yeah, hey, I know that. I got to be, and everybody 
did yeah, that. The whole group. The whole group. So it wasn't like you you knew you weren't missing out on something because when, everybody was in that window of, I got to go to bed. And when the new guy showed up in your squad, he's like, man, I stayed up and partied all night. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, well, I don't want to be by you near mile four because you're going to hork everywhere. And, and, and then... And they did. And then the next yeah. time they were like, uh, hey, I got to go to bed at like yeah. in an hour. Yeah. Or, you know, it was something in, and it was just, it's so strange to live in a world where there's a ton of, like right now, like we were talking about this earlier today. I mean, I haven't slept like eight or nine hours and then went, you know, got up. I, I, I'm busy. I'm really, really busy. But again, it's, because you're moving towards your objective. Yeah, I got and a so goal. so it's okay. It's I warranted. I right. A, I got a purpose. It's, you, you're still going with the campaign plan. You're still trying to hit all the targets. So it's drive. It's well, not, I have this time. Let me fill it well, with the, something that's not productive. The beautiful thing about that is, like, let's talk about your drive for a second. Because you're doing that. And I got you here. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, hey, I got to go write something. And you get out of bed and go right. Yeah, most everybody else in the house isn't happy when I do that, but yeah. <laughs> the floor creaks, the lights go on. But you know. But no, it is. And and um <laughs> it goes back you know, but everybody's like, Oh, dad's going to write. Um but again, it's it's you have to put something to fill the void. When you leave service there is a void, period. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody everybody's got it. I mean, and we know people from general status to private status. Yeah, everybody's got and it. And each branch of the service. So we're kind of, I think when we're saying that's a yeah. pretty emphatic and it's, thing. And it's, it's big, it's little, you know, whatever. It, but everybody's got something that they're, that they feel there is a disconnect. And, and, and rightly so, right? It's, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. But it's a bad thing when you don't know how to identify it and then give a sort of structured response to fix it or fill it or Bridget or whatever, right? Um, because it gives like so. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't feel bad. I do it very quietly. I try not to disturb anybody. But like, I handwrite everything. It's on a very special clipboard. Um, I do it all with pencil. So my stuff sits at the same place all the time, and it just waits. I use it every day. But when I go to bed, I put it in the same spot so that when I wake up at one thirty in the morning. And I'm like, I got to go write this stuff down. I'll go out. I write it down. I finish. I put it right back where it goes, and I come back to bed. But I feel better. I don't feel like I've missed something. You know? There was many occasions where I was like, I just need to sleep. And I'd wake up, and I was like, man, there was something last night that woke me up that was awesome. But I can't remember what it is right now. And it would eat at me. You know? And it was, you know, so you're bringing on your own stress. But you're making something that if, you know, if everybody was on board, you know, and everybody is in the family, and they're like, yeah, okay, he's going to go right for an hour, and then he's going to come back to bed. He's still going to wake up, still going to do everything, you know, still going to accomplish my primary mission of being the stay-at-home provider. But this is a little nuance, because I've articulated it. I've set the mission goals, not only for me, but for every, so for everybody else knows. Everybody's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, it's just like when you get called into work for staff duty because the guy's sick. Everybody knows staff duty has to get done. And it's going to be done by an enlisted guy, an NCO, and an officer. Yep. Well, if there's a gap, one of those has to be filled. And, and the family's all, uh, hey, it's, 
What's one in the morning? Oh, what do you want me to do? I'm next on the roster. I have to go do this. And everybody's like, okay. Well, you know, so um, segueing a little bit. You know, we've, we've talked about a group, and we haven't mentioned the group. Um, simply because there was a dynamic shift there. A lot of the same people are still doing the same stuff. But, you know, we're not being paid to advertise. And the the point is that we got help from people. There's tons of people out there that are willing to help you. And, you know, you, you call me, you send me a private message, you want to talk. Well, I, I gladly tell you the names of the people that actually helped us. Yeah, reach out to me too. So, yeah. I mean, no, so I'll we, tell you, you where we were. Give you at, contact info um, and everything like that. They're still helping people out there. The dynamics shifted a little bit, but they're still helping, and we don't still doing great. Yeah, they're doing great things, and and there's tons of people that we don't even know about. They're doing great things, yeah. but the the point is this: you have to have a team. Now, I I want to jump because you writing these books is not. You know, I've heard people say, oh, "I need to write a book. I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna write a book." You can write a book, guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think on your team, you have different levels. You have an editor. Yep. You have a creative design person that does the covers of the books that are whoa, way cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, doesn't that guy work for Pixar too or stuff? It's like a freelance for Pixar and DreamWorks, super cool. Whoa, super it's cool. it's awesome that yeah. you know. Like, He's got his own company too. It's really neat. And and then there's um, I digress. <laughs> And then there's uh, this is and I think this is the core. Now, you and I have been friends for many years, and so I've I've got to watch this process. I've got to watch a lot of what you went through, and one of the things in this process, and and one of the key people that I see is very integrally important, is a peer that. You either call up or you go sit and have coffee with yeah. every week, every two weeks. No. When you're across country, it's a phone call. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, your brother-in-law spoke on it a little bit. Um, it's not a hive mind. What is it? Brain trust, something like that, you know, where, where you get a couple of different people together to talk the same nuancic piece, so the same passion. So if it was music, you'd have... Three or four musicians get together, but it's not to talk necessarily just about music. It's about everything. It's about everything, you know. And and, and you talk eventually about music. But that's like being in the last talk talk music series. Yeah. I talk with people about all kinds of things in life, and it makes me a better musician when we're talking about the farm. Yeah, but it, but or it's the but it's so, so. But one of the things that was that I found after leaving the program um, and everything like that was. We isolate ourselves really easily, right? And in the professions that we choose, at least for me as being a writer, it's a very, there's only one person banging on the keyboard. It's just me, right? Whether I write it and then transcribe it, whatever it is, I'm the only one existing in that moment of creation. And, and everybody else is, is very similar. So I, you know, I, re, you know, I went out and tried to find writers' groups and this, that, or the other, and all this other stuff. And and it became frustrating because it wasn't feeding, like I was either the people were too far ahead and I couldn't understand what they were talking about, or they were too far behind me in the process. So I wasn't finding somebody who was almost identical to be able to not only talk about life, but pitch ideas, you know, sort of figure things out. And so, no, it, so um, 
John and I have known each other for several years, and we both started at almost the same time. Like, it was neat um, to where we could pounce ideas off each other, you know, and really it was, it was just to go and talk and have a mental stimulating conversation and to be sort of... Well, you write, you write in different... Well, we write in completely different genres and everything like that, but it was, it was just to find someone who had the same passion to sit there and talk just about life and then a little bit about work and then a little bit about expectations for what the future could hold, right? So it adds that level of accountability because we did it once a week when we lived within the same state. Now I think it's like once every other week via phone, but it's still, oh, I don't really have anything to talk. Well, I better get something to talk because he's going to have something to give to me. Mm -hmm. Professional development-wise, I need to be able to reciprocate, right? And so it adds this almost like command and staff. And it's done on a peer level. Well, it's done on a peer level, but you have to have deliverables. So it keeps propelling you forward. Because somebody's going to ask, well, what are you doing? You know, and it was once we, well, what'd you do since last time we talked? Yeah. Well, and, I, and there was a couple very early on, and I was like, nothing. And it'd be like, cricket, cricket. You know, and, and you could see the validity in doing the meeting. But if you didn't feel that you could participate, then you were just wasting time, right? So you, you wanted to participate. I wanted to participate, so therefore I did more things. And I did turn more product, got out of my comfort zone and, and took classes, you know, whether they be webinars or something like that, you know, it was still me learning. I was still trying to learn more about the industry or make new contacts, you know, um, or just get out of my own way, you know, stop holding myself back. For no reason other than I don't know what the future holds. That's okay. That's why they make flashlights. <laughs> you peer into the darkness. Well, it, it, man, it's such a weird thing. Like, so many people are like, I can't, I can't. As you think you are. Well, not like that, but do you want it? Yeah, you know, because if you want it, well, if you need it, when you look at the difference between need and want, if this is something you need, you find a way to accomplish it. If it's something you want, it's very easy to cast off. That's very interesting because there's two two styles of learning. There's pedagogy and andragogy. And pedagogy is all... nobody knows how to spell either one of those. <laughs> Ask Surrey. Pedagogy is the style of learning that says 2 plus 2 equals 4, 3 plus 2 equals 5. It's what the kids go through every day. And in fact, it kind of takes place all the way up to the master's level. In the master's level programs, they start getting into something called andragogy. So andragogy is what they call adult learning. Adult learning always begins with a need. Hmm? Principle number one, you're driving down the road. All the air goes out of that tire. Well, all of a sudden you need to change a tire. Some people will just call somebody. Some people go like, I can get this. They can do it. I can do it. Now, how do I figure it out? And all of a sudden, they've got to learn. Yeah. This is just like one of those classic things. So you've got a dream. You've got an idea. Um, You're an adult. Andrew Gaji kicks in a little bit. Hey, maybe maybe you got dyslexia and you can't read. 
I mean, I, I don't read music. I'm, I'm writing music every day, man. I ain't got no problem with it. <laughs> I, I'm not the most precise of the guitar players. You think I care? I mean, like, I'm getting better. I work at it because I want, I want to develop my craft. But I'm not going to let my... I'm not going to let these little nuances stop me because the true andragogy continually propels me to want to learn more. Oh, because it's fulfilling the need. It fulfills a need. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I had, to, I had to do that little teaching moment, maybe just to hear myself talk for five seconds because I like that. Raises stuff. the bar of the program. Yeah. <laughs> we were way down here and we're way up here now because of <laughs> ten syllable words. It's totally cool. <laughs> It's just horse crap. Cool. <laughs> but, but no, you know, like everything. Like, why am I doing this? Why are you doing? Why? Why? You know, we could say I talked you into doing this. We've been friends so long. Like, here's another relationship. Eric and I talk probably three times a week, and sometimes it's like, "Hey, what's going on? Not much. Ain't got anything. Hey, me neither. All right, see you tomorrow." I'm, but, no, but what did we do there? Yeah, let's let's dissect that for a second because we did something in that phone call. Well, but it's it's so you have you can't be alone. You can't, and so You're just right. knowing that you can reach out and talk to somebody is, is key. But it's not necessarily enough. Like, sure, there's hotlines and everything else you can call, but there's no connection. That's right. Right. There's no bond. You don't want to just talk to somebody. You could stop some random person and start vomiting your story all over them, and they're like, ah. But if it was somebody that you knew and had a connection with, well, then they'd listen. Like when you know, because I'll tell you where I'm going, what I'm doing week by yeah. week. And, and, and I will, you know, I, I put some stuff up online. Some of this is inappropriate for everybody to know. Me, I mean, yeah. I go talk to people all the time. There's no, there's no microphone on. There's none of this. We're not sharing, because that's not what it's about. Yeah, but it's but I think it's it's more that not only is it a discussion of hey what's going on and you know there's somebody out there outside of your nucleus family that cares right it's it's more than that it's hey you told me to do A B and C I'm on B but I'm working towards C just want to let you know because you took the time to talk and say. If you solicit my advice, here's my advice. Well, hey, that was great. Okay, well, do the, something it, with it. It's, you know, and so it's, it's, it's checking the, back in to validate. I I found what you said insightful, and not only do I find it insightful, but I want to tell you how awesome it's going for me. It's an accountability piece. Well, to a degree, yeah. I mean, but not in a negative way at all. No, no, no. There's it's not, it's, it's, it's accountability no, of love. It's this yeah. idea that like. You know, like I, I, it really blows my mind if somebody asks me something, and I take the time to stop and write it all out for them, or send them a text, or even call them. I, I could, I mean, I could tell you dozens and dozens of times that I never hear back from that person. I don't know what they did, and I, I just invested my time, mm-hmm. and not just my time, but. The money I'm still paying on student loans. I mean, look, it's a, it's this huge investment of my life. I only got one. Yeah. And then you start to wonder after a while if you don't get a return. Well, but it's I think I think it's more I think it's more that on the other end, typically, the the individual doesn't 
necessarily feel they have enough self-worth yet to push back and provide. That's right. Right? And so, you know, perfect, perfect case in point, you know, when, when I go to, when I would go to have the, the weekly meetings, it took a while to where I felt I could truly give back to where I felt I was validated enough to sit there and say, no, 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 you, you want to look at this and have it not be just some wild conjecture that I saw in a YouTube video, you know, but it actually was substantial enough to share because of life experience. I can, as well as you can, share a plethora of life experience that correlates to very high tense moments in life in various theaters throughout the world. Coming back here, those same nuanced struggles and stories don't necessarily translate to relatable dialogue exactly. with, certain, with certain people that we interact with on a daily basis. So not only are we relearning how to interact, but we're also now reliving and gaining new stories to be able to share and be validated. You know, so like I can now say, well, I've been to three different conferences. Let me tell you what a conference is like and blah, blah, blah. But before that, I couldn't tell you what it was like to interact with other authors outside of the 25 I had met who weren't that much further along than I was. You know, and so it became, well, I really don't have anything to share because I have no life experience in this specific part of life to draw on to offer you any nugget of wisdom so in the, so the i have known turns into why not which you answer then what do you do about it well then you can not only offer advice but also propel yourself you know so you sit there and like if you ever need to give yourself advice write it on the board and pretend like you're talking to somebody else and put a tape recorder on because I have found that you can give people advice, and it's awesome advice, when there's no real stake in the game for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's completely objection or completely objective. It's usually right on the money. It's very open and honest. So do that for your own problem. Write it up on the board and talk as if that whiteboard or piece of paper is another person. And tell them. And record it. And then listen to it. That and you're going to be like, holy cow, that's great advice. Well, and it I really involves two things. Seeing the value in yourself mm-hmm. and actually trusting that value. But you have to have enough life experience in that area to feel comfortable to do that. Because not everything translates over well. So you have, and you have to get out there and get after it. Yeah. But know that there is going to be a segment of time that's trial and error. And that's okay. Well, and it, it, in a writer's case, it may just be learning how to type. Well, yeah. Or, or asking for help. Or finding the right team, you know, or the right group, you know, to sit there and say, well, I was thinking about doing this. Well, why would you do that? They just put a movie out. Somebody already did that. How did you find your team? <sighs> Luck, timing. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like everything else, you know, when you invest in people and you invest time and you have all your stuff ready, when the door opens, you can walk through. You may have to knock for a number of years for that to happen. But when it does, if you're prepared, then that all of a sudden chance encounter simply becomes, hey, this is a really cool meeting yeah. that you, in effect, helped make happen. And that's really what it was, is all my stuff was ready. Um, and it was a nice, well, why don't you just call so-and-so? Oh, 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 really? Okay. 
you know, and it was awesome. So that chance meetings changed the entire dynamic of what I could do. But I, I want to say two things about a chance meeting. I don't know if it's chance. No, it's it's because you got outside. Yeah, you got some clothes on. You had worked at product. Yeah, working on product. Some cases revamping that huge book into something a little more palatable, and it moved the story quicker. No, it did. The story it was did. a little more. It wasn't overwritten anymore. There was less than a hundred typos in it. You know, it was great. But but really, what it boiled down to is I had to have enough confidence to go look. To sit there and say, I know my product is good enough that I that I know it deserves better than what I am currently providing it. And so whatever the mission is that you've now taken on, there will be a point in time where you will have to assess and say, do I want to do better to advance it? Or is this something that's really not a good fit and I need to push it aside? You hope that you fail early so you don't waste a lot of time on it. You know, And if it's something you're super passionate about and it's just not taken off, then you have to take the time to take it apart, figure out what's wrong, and fix it. Whether it's asking for help or you know, doing more study or just getting better. Because everything that we start at, brand spanking new, typically sucks. Yeah. And that's okay. It's supposed to. You're not an expert right out of the get-go. It's okay. But you have to give yourself enough of a break to say it's okay instead of beating, oh, I, don't, I, I had never failed at anything. In the service, I was I was a distinguished military graduate from college. I was a first time go at Ranger School. I was a first time go at Jump Master School. You don't really have to be a first time go at Seer School, but I was first time go at Seer School. You know, I had done all the cool things. All my evaluations were rock stars, and I got out and I failed continuously in writing. Continuously. When did you start believing? In yourself. Oh, and the voices wouldn't shut up. <laughs> no, it was when when people read it and actually enjoyed it. You know, that was really my c- cementing time. Because validation is not. I mean, like I've I've needed that. Yeah, no, the, it I was, still need it sometimes. Sometimes I'm just like I need somebody to say today, Matt, that's good music. Well, and and it was the the Wattpad thing, and and it became something that I can now lean back on. It was a life experience that now is, is one of the pinnacle things where I'm like, man, I'm just not moving this. I, I don't know if it's any good. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know it's better now than what it was when I first had it here and I had all these people read it. And so I know that it's good. So I don't necessarily need that level of validation anymore. You know, if that makes sense. It, well, it does because it take it takes that out of the equation. It makes a lot of sense for me because yeah. well, it's another, it, so remember how we said you can move it, you readjust. Mm-hmm. So I I erase that off my yeah my definition of success. I don't need that piece anymore. I well, need something else. So I wrote something else in there. Yeah. Well, and, and it's true, and as and as I've looked along, I mean, at first, buddy, I, I needed, I did a thing for you. Ever heard of this like, concept of Lent? Lent, yeah, I know what it in is. In Christianity. So yeah, most people is. give something up, right? So for 40 days in 2016, I did something with music. I did something with music. Yeah. One day I didn't listen to any music at all. It was, a, it was a tough day for Matt Williams. Um, And I played on the streets day after day after day after day. And 
I went out there because I had to believe in myself and in my craft. And I remember, one, I remember one time I was sitting in front of a Publix, and they run you out pretty quick. You know, I, I got half an hour out of that one, and um, I was out there playing, and like, and people are looking at me like, "What is this guy doing?" And this, back, remember, I had the long hair and a big goatee, and you know, looked a little scary. Probably still do to some people, but but then, buddy, there was there was some, uh, you know, I looked a little wild. And I'm out there playing. I'm out there playing. I'm out there playing. And I'm thinking to myself, good lands. Like, you know, people are they're just hustling in and out of the store. And they're not really paying me any mind. And then here comes the manager walking an elderly lady out to her vehicle like they do sometimes in that grocery store. And I said to myself, man, when he gets back, he's going to kick me out. <laughs> right? You know, because you know it's coming because yeah. I'm not supposed to be there. And just about that time, this little kid runs over. And his mom, they're going to the sub shop next door or whatever, you know, the strip mall are. And uh, he runs over and he puts like, I don't know. 32 cents? Something like that, yeah. you know, in the, in the thing. And he says something like, good job, you know. Like, like I needed that so bad. And then I looked up and I saw the manager come and I was like, thanks, man. And I shut the case and I took <laughs> off, you know. Because, um, you know, I don't want to get thrown out of there or whatever. But Well, no, but again, it's it's look at the industry. Like, like we're, you're an entertainer, really, to a certain degree. Oh, yeah. And so to find fulfillment and entertaining is when people like what you're doing, right? It it just is. But I had to like it first. Well, no, no, no. Which is so difficult. And and not only that, but it's you have to do it for yourself first. It has there has to be you in it, it on mm-hmm. the on the creative side in in the entertainment industry. If there's not you in it, then there's no relatability from the other side from the consumer. That's why people like. That's why the all those people read it and liked it because I was in it. There well, was a lot of me in the text. It's like there's a lot of you in the music. That's why people can relate to it. If it's simply a stringing together of prose that have no rooting in, in the artist, then, then there's no connection that can be established. What was that place you took me to in uh, many places? Uh, Estes or whatever. Where the, the, the hotel? The National Fort. Yeah, the ho- what was the name of that hotel? Stanley. The Stanley. Where The Shining, where Stephen King... Did The Shining. Yeah. And, and that was Stephen King. And we walked through there, and you were telling me all about it. You were t- I hadn't even... See- Excuse me. I hadn't even seen the movie. And, uh... Again, it's horror stuff. And so... And so... I walked through with you, and you're telling me all these stories. There's stories, stories, stories. There's a ton of stories in that big hotel. Uh-huh. And it's... it's it's I mean, Tawny. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's and we went... Spot. We went all over. We walked on snow, and you know, it was gorgeous. And it was crazy because back then you were talking about Stephen King, like he was a writer and you weren't. And now people have punched in because analytics, and you can see what's going on. They've punched in Stephen King. Your name's popped up, and they bought your book. Yeah, no, it's it's neat, and it's you know, you do you re- you reach a point, and I'm not a pro. I don't think I'm a pro, but yet, is is what I can say now. Whereas before, I was just an aspiring author, and and 
as soon as you put a book out, you're an author. Right? So I don't consider myself an author. I know I'm an author. But I'm a writer. Like if people ask me, what, are, what do you do? I'm a writer. Okay. Because to be a writer, all you have to do is write. But you have to write to be a writer. You have to have something published to be an author. Well, you can stop anytime you want. You still are an author. At least I am right now with book five coming out. With book five out there, I, I've been an author now five times over. Well, but to be a writer, you have to actively write. Write. You're writing. It's exactly. It's like it's not. You know, I've heard someone say, "Well, it's a standard operating procedures." It's not standard. No. It's standing yeah. operating procedures. That is the phrase. You know, we we mess up English is a hard language, and um, don't. right. <laughs> I mess it up all the time, man. I got this one great song, and I write "Lay with me" beside still waters. Now it just the lay part works out so well. And Kate aptly points out what you want to say is "lie with me" because the person is making an active choice. You're not laying something down beside. Hey, hey, you know what? Shh. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, ah, nah, 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 I'm going to go with lie. We're doing artistic license. I've done it both ways, and every time I sing lie with me, I feel like we're telling a lie. You know? It's artistic license. It's, it's almost lie. like I, sometimes I get stuck in an episode of one of George Carlin's on-the-stage rants. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, it is, but it's, but to struggle, but I, I, I think you have to have, it's, it's that passion element to where you want to own something new. You know, so like in, in, in the service, we had an identity. Was, I'm a chaplain. I'm an infantryman. Yeah, it was It It, 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 it lends you, identity. it roots you to not only your trade, but to like-minded individuals. Right? Well, the you, entire you, group, the homeostasis, yeah. well, you and, had a part of that. Well, not only that, but everybody immediately, oh, okay. Like there's really, it's a little bit of that unknown mystery is taken away. You're not an outsider. Oh, oh, okay. What happens here? Well, no, or I, I know a little bit about you now. I know enough about you that we can now palaver, right? We can talk, and it's okay, because I know enough about you. You're not a total stranger that I only know your last name. Yeah. Right? I know what you do. Well, and it's so, kind of like why we started out saying, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, well, but I think even now, for us, that that, that identity is critical. It's something new. Be, the branding of You're civilian. You're talking about the tribe, right? Yeah, but I'm talking about the branding of now being... A vet, a lot of us are like, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm just casting that off when we first leave. Okay? And, but civilian is so innocuous. There's no roots to that. It's such a bland, blanket statement across that it could be anything. What does it mean? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no rooting to it. And so in, you, you look for something, even though you already have something. You left with something. You know, you just didn't want to pay any attention when you were leaving because you were so excited to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? You're just trying to get out of there before they call you back. Yeah, you're like, I just, I just got to get out of here. I, gotta, I, don't, I want to put on jeans. I want to put on tennis shoes. I want to grow my hair long. I'm not I don't want to have to brush my teeth tomorrow. You know, all that stuff, right? And you, you, you're, su- you're in such a hurry to get out of there that that one nuanced piece that can keep you grounded and give you purpose and all those things, the identity of being a vet, you overlook. And it just compounds over time until you're ready to get sort of not plugged back in, but reconnected. 
to all those wonderful things that you could have totally kept in your kit bag when you left. But you're, you know, just life was happening. Like for me, I left the service and I was supposed to be like a retired guy. Like I was going to do 20 years. That was the goal. And I left Afghanistan. I became an army spouse. We moved from overseas to CONUS and we had a brand new baby and my wife was gone standing up a unit. Where I met everybody. And I was like, what? <laughs> Thank God there was no postpartum for this guy because that would have been a mess. Holy guacamole, that's insane. Your entire life is turned upside down. And then I couldn't figure out why I was angry. Really? Seriously? This is a discussion that you can't figure it out? Really? I remember sitting at a table, and you dropped some question on me, and I could tell, like, you weren't happy. Well, it, it, it was misdirected anger. Or, not misdirected. No direction. Anger. You're just angry because you don't know what's wrong. Well, when I was in, I was looking at you going, oh boy, because I knew your wife. Hmm? I mean, we went to Afghanistan together. And I remember thinking, oh boy, she's married to a piece of work. And then <laughs> when I was in Afghanistan, you and Kate got to know each other. And, uh, and you were part of the family readiness group yeah. and you helped people out. And then I came back, and Kate's like, you want to get to know this guy, man. I was like, really? And you had actually moved, so I didn't get to see you for a while. And then we reconnected yeah. over in D.C. And it was just a, it was a strange piece all the way around because I remember watching you struggle and, and thinking to myself, because you came to me and talked to me a couple issues. Yeah. And, and I didn't know what to say to you because... When you're in, you are not a veteran. You are in. I mean, yeah, you know, you get that. You're always going to be a veteran as yeah. soon as you do some. No, you but know, it's true because you, but if you don't experience it, 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 it's something that has to be experienced to truly understand. And not only that, because you can look at, you know, you go to the associations and stuff like that. They, they know. Oh yeah. And they look at all of me when I, you know, twelve years ago. They're like, we know what's coming. We know what you're going to go through, but you don't want to know. You don't want to hear it. We get that. You're not going to listen. We totally understand. But it's coming, right? And that's very true. And it, and and then it comes, and you have to sort of figure out your own nuanced struggle on how you're going to beat it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and then when it passes, you're like, oh, we should tell everybody, right? We, 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 could, we could help everybody. Let's just tell everybody. But the key nuanced piece is, we wanted the fix. We wanted to know how to fix it. We, we were actively looking for something, sort of. We were mostly being pushed. Hey, you need to go fix this. You know, go well, figure we, out how to do we it. We were very lucky that we had two ladies in our yeah, lives yeah. who cared enough. Yeah. But, but again, it was, it was at a junction when enough had been said, enough had transpired, that when the information was made available, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you could not necessarily buy into it because you're not buying into it. It just makes sense. And so all the lights start to click. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, well of course. Hello. You know, the, the classic, I'm angry. Okay, what have you done today? Well, I've watched four war movies in a dark room. Okay. 
Okay. What, what else? What were I, you I had a whole bunch of Cheetos, Twinkies, and four pots of coffee. And you don't understand why you're angry. Sugar, caffeine. Darkness, you know. What, what four, do I do? I was like, I don't know, movies. go outside, go for a walk for like 10 hours to burn that off. First off, but just go outside. You know, or if you've been staring at a computer screen, cranking out stuff at work, and you're like, God, I'm so angry. Then take a breath, man. Go outside. Like it was the little things that really made sense. And then when you looked back at the lifestyle you had, you're like, wow. Yeah, they made us do PT in the morning outside. Everybody had to go. You had to walk outside to go to lunch to get to the chow hall or to go out anywhere. So you're going outside then. And even if you worked until 9 o'clock at night to do all those interactions, you had to go outside Mm -hmm. to go between office and office. And just that, that was enough to keep the dogs at bay. But yet now we have all this freedom and we just want to lock ourselves back up and and hold up. Sit on the couch. Just go outside. So you got to, and and I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. There's days where I'm like very agitated, very angry. And and I'm told, hey, you're you're being a little better fix it. You know, which is cool now because I'm told, hey, this is what's going on because I can't see it yet. So it's caught early. And I've got enough of the education piece now of how to defeat it. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go for a walk. And it beats it. It gets ahead of the tsunami before it crushes you. And with that, two years ago, before this, it was just kinda like here comes the tsunami, and I can see it coming. I can feel it. Boom. When it was, I where you sit there and you're like, okay, this is just what life is now. Yeah. You know that I can't beat this. I'm just supposed to be sad and depressed, and either drink my sorrows away, which doesn't help, or take pills that's supposed to pick me back up, but yet doesn't help. You know, when really, the thing that helps is all in your mind, not your brain, but in your mind, your ability to to will yourself back to where you were before. Like, I get it. I can't run as far. I I can't do airborne operations. I'd probably have one jump left in me, and then I'd be broken on the drop zone, right? Um, So I'm not doing that (laughs) anymore. saying anything about the landing there. Yeah, no, the landing would be abysmal, okay? Um, I get it. My new normal is slightly different from when I was 20. And it's going to be slightly different from my peers now that are of the same age that didn't do what I did mm-hmm. with service. I get that. And that's just the way it is. And that's okay. But it's my terms. I get to do what I want. And I know that I want to be successful. And, and you I get have, to define that. Too. And I get to define that. And I have all the tools. I don't really have to relearn any of that. You know, I know that hard work will pay off. It may take a long time. That's okay. Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither are careers. You know, when you left, you started at ground zero again. Mm -hmm. So if you did 20 years in the service, 10 years in the service, three years in the service, two years in the service, whatever, the second you left, you reset your own clock in everything, in your expertise, in your validity amongst your peers, and the validity amongst yourself, and you feeling confident to say, I have mastered this enough to speak as an expert, you hit reset. 
Because nobody's coming to me now when I go to the PTA meeting asking me how to kick down doors. You know, they're asking, well, you're a writer. How can we write the PTO newsletter better? Okay. Well, you know, we've gone about two hours here. It's a long time. It You're is. still watching. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm tired, man. I got a big weekend coming up. It's been a big week. It just sounds like complaints. <laughs> they might be a little bit. <laughs> That's right. I'm okay with myself, but I'm thinking, man, we need to shut this one down, man. Yeah, you can um, do another one. Cut it, it down to 15 minutes. Nah, it's about all the useless going. stuff that's in there. The uh, If you were to leave and you wanted to say something to the vets out there that are just on that line of like, what should I do in my life? Got no purpose, got no hope. You've called me a couple times in a. And, well, and giving me some advice. What would you say to these guys in closing? Pick a lane. Even if it's the wrong lane, just pick it. And own it until it's not going to work for you anymore. So, like, if it's, I've got zero career prospects. If you're, like, say you're a stay-at-home dad like me, okay? And you have no aspirations of working. Fine. Then go volunteer at the school. You know? Or be the carpool person. Or, you know, if you've got... Boys, go be a Boy Scout leader or a Cub Scout leader or a Girl Scout leader or plug in down at the soup kitchen. Go find something, anything that's in a lane and own it. And if it doesn't work, change the lane. And when you wake up in the morning and you have that same excited feeling you did before you joined the service, because all we typically remember if we're in that stage of what am I going to do in my life? You remember the bad. You remember the negative. So think of, I was really excited about this. Then go find that lane. And just dabble in it at first. And then own it. If the lane's open, own it. If it doesn't work out, change lanes. But you have to move. You have to get up and move forward. We were always taught to move towards the gunfire. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's gunfire. Enemy over there, run towards it. Not a normal thing for anybody to do. But it's what we were all taught. It's the same thing with life. You're sitting stagnant right now. Move towards an objective. Any objective. And then if you're like, well, that's not mine. Mine's over there. Then change direction. But you have to move. You have to advance. If you're not advancing, that's why you're angry. That's why you feel like you have no purpose. That's why you don't want to wake up in the morning. Find something that fills you with excitement and go after it. Yeah, man. That's all it is. It, 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 it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to be executed simply as that. But the drive is as simple as that. And as yeah. soon as you ignite the drive, everything will eventually turn into place with hard work. But you have to want it. And so you have to find the lane that you want to walk in. But more importantly, just go. Get walking. Yeah. Just, and then the fog will clear. If, it's, if you can't see anything, then walk to daylight. And as soon as daylight comes, find a terrain feature and look where you need to go. But you have to move. Yeah. If you don't move, you die. Period. That's, that's I mean, all of that. That's some good advice. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vet Church. 
thank y'all for joining us in this uh elongated Thursday. interview. Yeah, it's a bit elongated. No, it's Friday now. Are we into Friday already? Wow. So here we are on Friday. On the East Coast. And um on the East Coast. Tell y'all what. Think. Question. Question what we've said today. Have some fun. Love one another. And an old saying from the past runs through my mind. Watch your lane. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.